Today's episode is sponsored by Standard Dose. Standard Dose is an online marketplace for all things plant-based beauty and wellness. With a curated collection of carefully vetted products, you can shop with confidence for everything from stress relief to sleep to gut health. Stay tuned because we will be highlighting some of our favorite products from Standard Dose during today's episode. Welcome to Mindspace Minimal. We're your hosts, Daniel Ryan and Jessica Yatrovsky. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We hope you enjoy this episode. Today we're joined again by our special guest, Dr. Sarah Biffin, doctor of Chinese medicine, acupuncture, herbology, and my wife. That's right. Most important part at the end. (laughs) For me, yes. (laughs) For me, yes. How are you, Sarah? I'm doing very well. How are you guys? We're good. Excellent. Yeah. Lots of questions for you, Sarah. (laughs) Likewise. (laughs) Might lock you up here. (laughs) Today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today we're talking about relaxation and asking questions about it, asking each other questions about approaches to this subject, this state that we talk a lot about and are all kind of looking to get back to. And and as we talk about on this podcast a lot, kind of rushing to get back to a state of relaxation. You know, and one of the first things that I wanted to start with as we kind of come at the subject from a interesting angle today, each of us having our own approaches, you know, we can talk about relaxation from the point of view of hypnosis, of Chinese medicine, of minimalist living. And I have questions for both of you about your backgrounds and approaches to relaxation and calming the nervous system. And first, I wanted to start with a subject that is one both Sarah and I have a lot of affection towards uh, some some direct experience, some indirect experience, but ASMR is the subject ultimately. And to use that as a way of opening up a conversation too, to experimental means of reaching relaxation, you know, less defined, new or stranger means of relaxation. And first, we should probably start with defining and explaining ASMR a little bit. Actually, I need to confirm the acronym is autonomous. Mm-hmm. Oh, I always forget that. Autonomic. Autonom- excuse me. Autonomic. Sensory. Sensory. Meridian, meridian response. response. Yeah. yeah. Autonomic sensory meridian response. Yes. Yeah. I think it says it all right there, which we can definitely deep dive into that a little bit more because we were going to talk about how that relates to Chinese medicine in some way, but also kind of all of these things are so interchangeable and maybe different words for the same thing. Um, But it kind of creates this very physical manifestation for some people of your actual meridians in your body and their pathways. And it's so fascinating to me. I tomorrow is definitely an early adopter of that. <laughs> Do you and Dan 
the question for both of you. Yeah. Do you get the ASMR tingles, like susceptible to it? I definitely am. That's and awesome. I was so relieved when I found out this was a thing, when mm-hmm. I found out other people to this response. Um, you know, it was something I experienced since childhood. If somebody spoke in a certain way or a certain movie scene was on or anything. There's so many different triggers or responses from people. And I think it was, um, I think I need to credit This American Life or something like that Mm -hmm. from probably 15 years ago. And it was this real eureka moment for me where they covered ASR and it was kind of this very, very niche, very small community that started on YouTube. At least I think that's where it started. And at the time, a fledgling young website. A fledgling, yes, exactly. It was a fledgling niche for <laughs> with, a fledgling With a lot website. of momentum underneath. Its, right, but it really it yeah. struck a chord. So, right. And I was like, oh my God, it was just like one of those emoji head explosion moments. And it was just like, I need to check this out. And like, they were very primitive for what like ASMR is a total art form now. And there are people with millions and millions of followers and millions and millions of views um but yeah it was such a uh, it was such an eye-opening experience for me at the time and it was really relieving and it's actually it's nice to see that mm-hmm. other people have this response dan i don't know if you have the exact asmr response i don't but... think i don't think that i do but i i think i have a version of it that's more muted and as a hip, as a hypnotist <laughs> i do I, <laughs> I just don't think it's as such an aquarius <laughs> i just don't think it's as intense but i completely get it and as a hypnotist i I mean, personally and professionally, I get it. I think ASMR is in many ways, it's not, you know, it's actually, it's more than just using trance states, but it most certainly is using trance states. And as you say, it's an art form, Sarah. I I really agree with that. I just, the more time goes on and the audience and the hunger for ASMR videos online grows and I see what people do, it makes me really think that the average hypnotherapist or even meditation guide in some cases is kind of unimaginative. (laughs) People are hungry for ASMR. Yeah. Yeah. There's a a serious audience. And, you know, I'm sure... And there are serious ASM artists. Well, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Sarah, you have an amazing voice for ASMR. Oh, thank you. You should do an ASMR channel. Okay, so guys, I have an ASMR channel. You do? If I feel comfortable, I'll share it in the notes. You just just outed yourself, Jessica. You just (laughs) outed yourself. Now you have to share it. Tell us. Do tell us. I'm still working on it. It's kind of... uh, Well, I have some stuff up, but... I'll share it if I feel comfortable. And if I don't, I'll just edit this whole portion of <laughs> well, me. I'm excited to even hear that. Yeah. yeah, but it's definitely more on the art tip of okay. things. Because, right so, you know, all of the the funny, like silly ASMR that people send around to each other and friends, you know, like the pickle and the typing. You know, sure. I'm talking about the pickle lady. I don't know the pickle lady. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to send you the pickle lady. By all means. And the typing and the chewing the gum. Those feel like they're more fetishistic. Yeah. And I sure. I enjoy those for their comical value. Yeah. And also, I just like enjoy sound that's mm-hmm. captured really fantastically. Yeah. Um, and whoever that woman is, I, I don't know her name, but she does like typing and chewing gum and mm-hmm. like opening things and like 
and oh i love it mm-hmm. but i don't get the tingles but it does it sparks joy there you go, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, that's what we're looking for but yeah so dan i'm thinking a lot about hypnosis yes <laughs> Go on. All the time. Go on. And, you know, you work with clients, you give them tools, you lead hypnosis sessions. Is there something that we can do to self-hypnotize? And I'm not talking about, like, the classic ways that you talk about how we're hypnotized by screens, we're Mm -hmm, hypnotized mm by, you know, know, canceling or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. Um, What can we do for self-care, for self-hypnosis. Like mm-hmm. if you were going to send us off somewhere to do some self-hypnosis, <laughs> can you do that? Or do you have yeah. any suggestions? Yeah, of course. You know, coming back to a fundamental state of relaxation in our nervous systems, which again, you know, I'm very curious to hear both of your descriptions and points of view on this as well. You know, as I understand it and as I approach it through hypnosis, you know, hypnosis having the reputation that it has for being a competent tool for accessing subconscious mind and the subconscious mind oftentimes being thought of as the body itself. So we're using language always kind of, not kind of, we're using language in service of the state and the physiology that we ultimately want to reach and get to. So things like affirmations, and positive self-talk, and even your average self-hypnosis script may end up being very superficial and not having much of an impact, in some cases even having an adverse impact if the person saying it doesn't believe it. There's this very, very important co- uh, coherence to you know what we're saying and our system harmonizing with it when we're speaking to ourselves. And a feeling of truth, truth and trust, and again, just harmony within the system. So if I'm telling myself I'm pure, perfect, and complete, and I'm not feeling pure, perfect, and complete, there's some part of me that's going to be like, eh, that's a lie. But can you fake it till you make it? Uh, yeah, in some cases. In some cases, not all. It, that's a strategy. You know, as a strategy, I think... It can be sound, but I don't know that it can get you 100% of the way. You know, faking it till you make it, I, I also perceive as, I don't know how to do this dance step yet, so I'm going to do it clumsily until I can do it more gracefully. So I think, you know, faking it till you make it is a pretty good strategy, unless you're, you know, I mean, unless you're like lying to people and putting yourself at risk. There's extreme versions of that, right? So, you know, shy of those. Yes, I think you can in some cases fake it, but it's so, it again, it's so nuanced, Jessica. It really is so unique to the particular system because you also, I would say that you cannot brute force into your own system a message of wholeness or self-esteem or something like that, you know? There, there are different ways of perhaps doing all of these things, you know, different roads to the same destinations. Uh, but And this comes to mantras as well in meditation, that there is a certain mantra that is right for us and not right for us, and that the sound we receive from our teachers is there for a reason and given to us in the way it is for a reason. 
And if we find our own mantras versus the ones that are given to us, you know, what do they mean and how do they operate differently? So, and even if we think of, I'll stop rambling in a moment about this, but, you know, if we think about some message that may have been put in our brains, positive or negative, by a parent or an authority figure in childhood that plays over as a teenager or young adult, you know, I'm not good enough, or I am good enough and I can accomplish anything. Now, these words, ultimately, uh, you know, ending where I began here, they result in the physiology. They result in state. And state is what we want to focus on, ultimately. The state and the physiology are where the relaxation happened, not in the intellectual brain or mind, not in the language itself. So it's a, it is a, quite an act of composition, actually, to know how to talk to oneself productively and constructively. You know what you just kind of uh, sparked in my intellectual brain? <laughs> you just talked about that we have to turn off mm. um, in order to access these states sometimes, or maybe all the time. I was thinking about how, you know, we have mantras, we use mantras, and and Dan, you and I have talked at length about these phrases and these words and um, in the wellness industry too, becoming platitudes. Mm -hmm. And I think it's having a mantra or having an affirmation, if it speaks to you, is helpful. But I was thinking about this literally the other day. This is, I'm looking at you, Sarah. <laughs> when I was having acupuncture done and I wasn't saying any affirmations. I was just letting uh, negative and positive things just move through and, you know, until I got sleepy and then I fell asleep. And it was like that felt like a transcendent mm -hmm. moment and there was no mantra or positive affirmation attached to that and I felt very relaxed and very empowered very like positive very believing in um, my own ability to heal mm -hmm. myself mm -hmm. so um and then there was something else that i wanted to respond to you with what you said dan is that you know have you guys both seen labyrinth yes okay. oh yes i all why do i always i always like reference labyrinth but um <laughs> and also you know that's what i've always said about you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but i also think this is something that I have talked a lot about, I think, with you on the podcast. I don't know if these episodes have aired yet or not. Who knows? But just keep <laughs> listening, listeners. You'll hear me talk about it eventually. But this idea that if these words don't work for you, if these mantras don't work for you, if these techniques don't work for you that are attached to actual words, like you can let those words go too and just drop into feeling. That's why we love Esther Hicks so much mm. because she talks about state, mm. just like you mentioned, like the state of being. And I was thinking on along those lines, maybe this is connected, maybe it's not. You guys can figure it out. I'll just throw it out there. There's this scene in Labyrinth where she finally realizes, spoiler alert, <laughs> David Bowie's in this movie. And he's the Goblin King. <laughs> you guys are like, where are you going with this? <laughs> and there's a point in the movie where she realizes and she says out loud, you have no power over me. And I thought that was such a powerful realization to have that 
Nobody else has power over us. Right. Even these healers, it's mm-hmm. us that we're, we're healing. We're healing through the modalities, but we really need to believe it. So what I was actually going to say, Dan, is that I think lately for me, I'm going to make it about me, it's less about the words and more about the belief. Okay. Dropping into the belief. And that's been like the hardest challenge because words, 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 words all day, t-shirts, mugs, books, affirmations, kundalini, chanting. What does it all mean if you don't believe it? Yeah, I I think that's a really interesting point. And I think think that's why something like the placebo effect is so powerful. And it is actually very legitimate in its power in many ways. And I mean, with all of all of our work and what we both do, like with hypnosis and acupuncture and Chinese medicine and Jessica with your work, it's like, it keeps coming up. It always kind of comes up this concept of the placebo effect. And I, for years, I'm kind of like, so what if part of it is that? Like, so what if it is like your empowerment and your belief that you can heal? Because, you know, Dan, we always talk about when people come to see you for habit cessation or whatever it is, they need to be there. Like Mm -hmm. they need to be ready. Mm -hmm. They need to want to quit smoking. They want to overcome this fear. They want to deal with this phobia. And I feel the same when people walk into my office or we're having a consult with something like it's not something like these aren't things that are meant to be aspirational like they're meant to be work, mm-hmm. you know, but you, that also lies in self-belief and all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. Mm-hmm. And I think that all healing is self-healing. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good t-shirt. Sarah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I always, you know, a lot of people for, you know, c- this is such a wide and extensive medical system, what I do. So a lot of people come in for various things and, they're like, oh, this is magic. This is this. This is that. And it's like, well, I'm not a magician. I'm just a facilitator. You're the one doing the work. And hell yeah, it's positive and powerful. Yeah. If you're like, wow, I'm seeing improvement in myself. And like this boosts your serotonin levels. This makes you feel good about yourself. There's mm-hmm. absolutely a true and real positive and chemical effect to that. And what people would kind of dismiss as the quote placebo effect, I think is a really beautiful part of so many different medical systems or wellness systems, if you will. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm sure you all have clients too that they, and myself included, that come to you like fix me. Yes. And yeah, maybe you'll get a ton more visits from those clients. Um, and, and it does serve a purpose, right? They feel good that they just came to see you and um, you held space for them. And, and that's a big deal, you know, that that can mean a lot to that person. But how wonderful is it when we encounter those clients that come and they're working collaboratively with you? It's a very like, good way to put it, yeah. That's when you see major transformation and you see like all those things combined, like your work, their work, placebo, whatever, like it's all like working in tandem with like the universe and the belief and then like the actual somatic, you know, um, what would you call that Uh, expression or I would even say an autonomic response. Yeah. Yeah. It's partially what you're doing, mm-hmm. definitely. Even what you described in your recent acupuncture session, absolutely an autonomic response. That's 
basically your, in a nutshell, your autonomic nervous system is responsible for your rest and digest functions of your body. So kind of taking you, and this is one of the beautiful things about something like acupuncture that is so powerful in its ability to physically bring you from one state to the next with physical manipulation um, in this case, but basically going from that sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight, down into your parasympathetic and autonomic nervous systems that are just as important. And especially living in a place like New York, where we're always low grade, Mm -hmm. sympathetic fight or flight mode, whether we realize it or not, even that simple switch can have such a powerful physical effect on the body. But it absolutely has a lot to do with your hormonal regulation, your body temperature regulation, your blood pressure, um, absolutely everything, including your cortisol levels, which is your stress hormone, you know, so (laughs) bringing those things down, you do have that mindful effect of like this euphoria. Yeah. Um, sorry, not sure if I'm like rambling about that. (laughs) No, actually I'm going to add on to your ramble. (laughs) And say, then turn this into a such a good team. (laughs) I'm going to stack onto this in a way that's going to feel like a commercial for acupuncture. But I was recently talking to my healer, and we were talking about acupuncture and how, and she's not an acupuncturist. Um, She believes in acupuncture like wholeheartedly, though, as a healing modality, as like. She just speaks very highly of acupuncture and understands its abilities to heal and help people and and, and all the, the list of things. I'm not going to tell you. You're an acupuncturist. But what she did say was that going regularly is one of the best things that you can do if it's within your means to see an acupuncturist oh, yeah. mm-hmm. as much as possible. And she said it's because... That when you see the same practitioner over the course of like many months, many years, many decades, whatever, how hopefully they're not that much older than you, you know, (laughs) so you could see them for the rest of your life, that they can actually help you in these ways where like they see you're shifting, they can get in deeper. I don't mean with the needle specifically, but they can, you know, get, (laughs) get in deeper, but I think that's an interesting concept because I've had this experience as a client going in feeling like fix me. And you know, when you go and and as a patient or being the doctor, you know, as a practitioner that um, you're treating, you you can't just treat like what's going on. You have to look at the underlying Mm -hmm. causes of whatever the symptoms are. Yeah. And so the benefits of going to the acupuncturist consistently is like you're chipping away at it. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of what I don't know if that's like the right way to describe it. But the thing that I've noticed is that so I started going when because I've talked to you guys both separately about my bouts of anxiety um, for the past few months. So I started going back to my acupuncturist right across the street weekly And it has helped ground me. I wasn't even expecting, you know, because I often will treat the acupuncturist like I'll see her once a month or once every few months. There are times when I'll go a few times a week for like a month or something when I'm having some kind of crisis. But that's maybe not the best idea, right? Right. The idea is to use it as a 
you know, your, your weekly routine or your biweekly routine or your, however much you can do, like I said, within reason. Right. And I I completely agree with that concept. And I, I think a good way to look at it is that it adapts with you and, you know, probably your experience with your acupuncturist is a pretty personal one. They probably know more about you physically or emotionally mm-hmm. than most other practitioners you might work with. Um, because you kind of need to get into the nitty gritty to notice different patterns that might be happening, what needs to be addressed. And we are these creatures that are constantly in flux. We're constantly changing. There's things that are different in our lifestyles and our situations. And we manifest this in so many different ways. And also um, with the concept of kind of chipping away at something, I think it's more a sense of you didn't get here overnight and it's not going to go away overnight, whatever it is that you're working Mm on nine times out of 10. And even then it's, you don't always just want to fix it once it's broken. You want to prevent a break so to speak. Hmm. You want to prevent an exacerbation of a condition or a symptom, or you want to nip things in the bud if like you kind of know that this is a pattern you're predisposed to that. And developing that relationship with an acupuncturist is so important, I think, and with so many other different practitioners. But I think that this style and approach is particularly effective for that. Yeah. Um, because there's always so much going on underneath. And like you said, you really want to get to that root cause Mm -hmm. to treat branch symptoms. And sometimes it can just take time. And also, it's just such a good way to support your body overall. Because I I mean, I think a big part of it is regulating that nervous system. Yeah. And you talk about the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. And I feel like that in terms of like seeing you, Dan, as a hypnotherapist, all of those for me and this episode, it's about relaxation. Mm -hmm. Hey guys, just a little quick interruption here with a word from our sponsor. Speaking of relaxing, we are so excited to share some products that we have found very relaxing and sexy. From today's sponsor, Standard Dose. So we got the Flora and Bast Aphrodisia CBD-infused intimacy oil designed to enhance sexual energy as well as reduce stress and discomfort for a more satisfying sexual experience. This is going in a weird direction. <laughs> um, the second product that we want to talk to you about or share is Sunday's Green Fig and Ginger Candle. Infuse your home with top notes of fresh orange peel and leafy green floral, middle notes of ginger and cedar wood, and base notes of sandalwood, warm amber, and patchouli. Non-toxic, 100% soybean wax, cotton wick, reusable container that can serve as decor. Oh. Or a planter after use. And then the last product is the Healist Calm Chews. These are vegan gummies formulated with CBD, L-theanine, and orange essential oil to calm nerves, optimize energy levels, and improve mood. So Dan, first question. Mm. I want to hear all the details of the flora and bass aphrodisia experience that you've been having. Jessica, no, <laughs> I just can't share it with you. The details... <laughs> I don't want to make our listeners uncomfortable. I don't want them to blush or barf. So I'm going to refrain from letting you know. Just know it works. We're going to leave you guys in suspense. Yeah. it's We're enjoying it. I'll tell you what, though. The Sunday's Green Fig and Ginger Candle. Oh, man. Beautiful. 
It's just the smell of Gorgeous. it. Yeah, it makes right the here. house smell beautiful. Look at it. And yes, the, what it says about being able to be reused as a planter, 100% mm-hmm. true. Loving this candle as well as the Healist Calm Chews. Yeah, I mean, the L-theanine, the orange essential oil, I think that's such a nice combo because like those are things that I get, like I was using like an L-theanine supplement and mm. then I'm like using essential oil orange oil it's so nice to see these things combined in something like a chew coming with cbd because i'm like oh yeah these are all the things i need so this is a nice trio we really like this for the for let's relax the flora and vast aphrodisia for before the candle for during and the chews for after so we love standard dose and standard dose loves mind space minimal listeners they are offering 20% off of everything on their online store through December 31st. So log on to standarddose.com and use the code MINIMAL20 for 20% off. Now back to the episode. So I feel like if we practice these things over time, just like transcendental meditation, like you both know I practice transcendental meditation, And you don't do TM to get out of a panic attack. It's preparation for, you know, a a calmer lifestyle for clarity. And I look to hypnosis for the same thing. I look to acupuncture for the same thing. Yeah, to maintain a somewhat balance of keeping the nervous system calm. I think that just brings up something I wanted to mention real quickly is that, and this kept coming up in my work with patients and with clients about this whole experience of COVID and quarantine. And it also made me realize just the importance of just the simple concept that alone is medicine. Mm. Like it is medicine. And I think even that state that you were able to get into with acupuncture, TM, things like that. That's medicine for yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's this really simple, pretty beautiful concept, and uh, one that I focus have been focusing a lot of my work around. So it's like fun to talk about it <laughs> with yeah. other people. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that um, collectively we're kind of recognizing yeah. the importance of that. And that right now, finally, it's cumulative too. Yes, right. So yeah. when I go in, I'm like, "Ow, my back! I threw my back out." Well, yeah, my acupuncturist knows how to throw it back into place. Right. She literally throws me. <laughs> it's <super> scary. <laughs> but, but anyways, I feel like, yeah, there are crises and, you know, injuries that can happen. And that's great. But we should be seeing our practitioners or checking in with our mental health people on the regular. So... Yeah, and why does wellness, so to speak, always have to be about crisis? Mm-hmm. Or emergencies. Or emergencies, yeah, and taking care of yourself. Like, it's not I, – I think it needs to go from this concept of being a privileged thing to being a rather mundane thing that mm-hmm. everybody employs. And yeah. actually, I don't know if you follow them on Instagram or have heard of them, but um, the NAP Ministry is a Ooh. really wonderful organization. Love they are name. NAP Naps. Advocates. And they, well, I don't know exactly how they're working with people right now, but they used to install nap experiences. That's so cool. um, Which I thought was a fantastic concept and one that is so badly needed right now. (laughs) They're they're pretty ahead of the game. Can we please install a nap experience? (laughs) I know. (laughs) In just about everything. Well, that's what, that's a lot of the work that I was doing virtually 
I don't know why I keep mentioning it. Sorry. And feel free to edit this out, but it's just, (laughs) um, was kind of installing that nap experience with people. And in my work with, um, I partnered with uh, a restorative yoga coach and meditation coach that is a good friend of mine and also employed a lot of, uh, self-acupressure and breath work and just kind of had this really nice experience of, almost experimenting with that and its effects on the nervous system and getting a lot of different feedback from people. I think they, I, I think all of them felt it was beneficial. And most of them were like, I wish this could be an all the time kind of thing. And I'm like, well, why can't we make it an all the time yes. kind of thing for ourselves? So Enter yeah, just Jessica going back to your point. Your yeah. House. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> we yes. need to make environments that support this idea that, you know, living life exactly. is not about working your fingers to the bone. Exactly. You know, you want to live and thrive, but you also need to relax. I, I was just talking to my therapist recently, and I was concerned that I was sleeping a lot, but I'm not depressed. So I, I just wanted to make that very clear to her. And she said, no, that's good. Sleep as much as you need. And I thought, okay. oh, permission to relax even more. Such a good way to put it. People don't, we don't give ourselves a permission. Mm-hmm. We kind of, we come from this, uh, well, the nap ministry, <laughs> speaking of, they describe it as grind culture. And sure. that is something that we have all bought hook, line, and sinker, yeah, yeah. like this capitalist grind culture. Yeah. <laughs> to, to the extent that the pause brought upon us by COVID, we were all asking ourselves if we were doing something wrong. Exactly. You know? that, yeah. it, that we had to deprogram ourselves from <laughs> from being burnt out constantly to be like, oh, I can, I can lean back. This is yeah. okay. It's all right. I can do that. Okay. A lot of people okay. are not going back to jobs, even yeah. if they get hired back, because they were like, wow, I was really part of this burnt yeah. out culture. I don't like it. Yeah. And I was thinking also too, you know, I have my own issues around napping during the day. I, maybe this is something I should work with you on, Dan, mm. <laughs> but, um, I always fear because I'm a night person um, and I've worked really hard to stop being a night person, even though recently I'm a night person again, but we'll fix that. Um, By we, I mean me and me. Um, (laughs) I think that if I nap during the day, I won't be able to sleep at night. And so I've noticed that men can nap during the day, like really easily. And then also just like sleep through the whole night dan is this true not all men (laughs) guys are secrets out but but i do told them i I do have a a little bit of a a personal story so my father he naps all the time during the day basically since you know i was cognizant of this since i was a child he would nap during the day and then but he denies it that he ever falls asleep but he's falling asleep everywhere, not narcoleptic style, but just like, you know, relaxing somewhere and taking a nap. That's such like a dad thing to see a dad napping. And <laughs> but at night, since I was the night person, you see napping. The dad is just like, I'm exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, his eyes are closed. No, he's definitely napping. I, I go, you know, like with the arm, pick up the arm, make sure he's he's asleep so I can look through his things. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I would never <laughs> No, in our household when he was napping. We were like, party, 
you know, he's not going to ask us to do anything. Um, sorry, dad. Chores are kids. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. As soon as he wakes up, we're like scrubbing things. Dad, we're cleaning. We're cleaning. He's sleeping. We're doing nothing. Um, so I would, I was always a night person. So I would notice that he would now, his sleep is disrupted at night. So he'd be out and about around the house, eating ice cream, doing things, just wandering around the house in his underwear, basically. And I caught him on various occasions when we were both together doing accountability, dieting and exercising, <laughs> caught him eating ice cream. Um, that's another story. But I thought that's kind of where I picked up this paranoia or maybe misinformation that if I nap during the day, I'm going to be wandering around in my underwear, not being able to sleep. So it's become this kind of obsession, like, do not fall asleep during the day. Do not fall asleep during the day. But I think meditation has helped that a little bit because Good, yeah. if, if I do do it twice a day um, and I do not off even for a few moments, I still get that like spark of I, I get rejuvenated somehow, but I can still sleep at night. Meditation for me is in a category of rest. You know, speaking of rest as medicine. Deep rest. Yeah. Yeah. A kind of rest, a variety of rest that you know, isn't necessarily sleep, but is certainly restful. And I say that having experienced many very anxious and frustrating meditations too. You know, when you're sitting there wrestling with your own thoughts, trying to relax, which I, I've done many times. But just listening to both of you, there are things I want to respond to and then ask you both. Now, Jessica, I want to talk about, so how do we set up our environments to promote this feeling in our nervous system over time, right? And then also, Sarah, you know, I do want to talk a little bit about the meridian system today, too. I know it, it's a deeply complex thing, of course, but to provide a little bit of, of understanding, and you could say also whether or not, well, if this is a good or a bad metaphor and why, understanding the meridians as the root system of, of the body of sorts, you know, the interaction mm -hmm. between, you know, what's above and beneath the surface and, and those, you know, the system beneath the surface kind of transmitting everything else, not the circulatory system, but circulating chi at the same yeah. time, perhaps, if you will. Uh, but, you know, before that, you know, a, a note on this idea of preventative medicine, mm -hmm. which I do think is so essential. And the first thing to go, even just speaking for my own mindset, when I need to make an appointment with a quote unquote Western doctor, I'm, I'm right back into the mindset, and this is a check-in for myself too, but a kind of little boy mindset of me broken, go to doctor, you know, to get fixed or something like that. You have no power over me. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. Uh, so... And, you know, it's it's something I'm speaking for that takes place very subtly in the background. It's not like I'm reduced to seven years old again as I'm making the appointment. And and <laughs> that would be cute, though, wouldn't it? It would be real cute. Yeah. Uh, but, and it's the preventative medicine mindset, the use of any of the tools we're talking about, actually. You know, we've mentioned harmony and balance and these kinds of 
abstract concepts. Here's another one, a musical metaphor for tuning the system, you know, tuning the system to play the notes in harmony so the systems can all align the way we tune the strings of a guitar or a piano. Uh, and so it can maintain its own sense of balance and harmony. And the self-healing that we're talking about that is native to us, it's already here. Like, you know, our self-healing mechanisms can only be fucked up. <laughs> They're, they are the baseline of who we are, as, as I understand it. So, you know, getting out of their way, in a, sen in a sense. And I think that idea, placebo effects as well, hypnosis oftentimes, I feel, overlapping with what are called the, the placebo effects and harnessing and encouraging mindset to go with physiology, to go with other things. I think this is also why research and study often studies often show hypnosis to be a very powerful complement to other processes of recovery, post-op, uh, post-surgery recoveries, that when you have a person who wants to get better, who's being told by authority figures they are getting better, who's offered messages that they will get better, that these things, you know, just, again, they can tune the system and align together a certain way. So all that having yeah. been said, meridian system mm -hmm. as, as root system in the body, Sarah, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with everything that you mentioned about them and mm. different ways to look at it. I think brace yourself for a lot of subway metaphors coming right up. <laughs> um, a very common metaphor for the meridian system. Okay. Uh, very simplistically put is yeah. the New York City transit system, specifically the subway. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, we're kind of seeing a lot of this play out right now. So, I mean, so what you're saying is the meridian system is constantly late and breaks down. Yeah, exactly. They, it can. Little, little MTA burn there. I'm for saying you. it's corrupt. I'm saying. <laughs> and sometimes the G train just never comes. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. Today, every yeah. 20 minutes. I wasn't talking about you guys. I just meant in general. Just, like yeah. sometimes the G train just, just never doesn't comes. Come. Yeah, yeah, it just doesn't. It's true. Um, but I mean, it can very easily be likened to something like that because it is such an important transit system in our body. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in the concept of Chinese medicine, you can see it as a transit system for chi and blood and all of the systems of our body, um, and our sinews and tissues and all that lovely stuff. And, you know, in the Western medical concept, you can see it as your circulatory system, your lymphatic system, um, your layers, your connective tissue. It's so many different things. But, you know, when you think about what happens subway when, when one train gets backed up and everything else suffers for it, one train line is down and you're feeling it in Queens, you know, like you really oh, just, stop. we've all been there. Mm -hmm. We can all mm -hmm. imagine the pain and frustration, which plays out in real life. Yes. But how do we prevent that maintenance? And we're seeing that now with, you know, they're closing the subways from one to five right now for those of us who've had to take, yeah, sorry, AM. Yeah. Uh, for cleaning and maintenance. And um, I have to say, 
and the subway system also right now isn't as like full and it's not as packed and yeah. there's not as much like human error good. that's possible. But for those of us who've had to take the subway recently, it's such a joy. Okay. <laughs> it, it runs smoothly. From your lips. And uh, it's on time. The G train comes. <laughs> Mostly. Well, I mean, I just feel like anyway, um, the, the general consensus being like it, it runs smoother because it's given rest and it is given maintenance. And yes. this prevents so many problems, as does regular self-care. Like you prevent all of these other problems by that rest. You so know, four hours. Taking, so one to so five. Four, a, four one hours. One to five a.m. Okay, then you're good. <laughs> Actually, this metaphor is pretty great too, because even coming back to the cycles of burnout that were taking place previously, and in the MTA, we don't need to go too far down this road. But the MTA slowdown too. You know, they were so addicted to the overwhelming ridership that, you know, now the yeah. system itself, too, is, you know... It was burnt out. It was burnt it was out. It was burnt out, and like all of and us. And it's missing the burnout, because actually, if you read the news, it's like, you know, we're losing money, we're breaking down, it's everything's terrible. And that we could talk about, and don't need to talk about, catastrophizing in the news and stuff like that anyway. But, yeah, even just the sense of being addicted to the burnout... In comparison to the reality, which I can totally account for, too, you know, it might not be the absolute best experience you can have in New York City, but riding the subways now compared to it's iconic this time it is it is <laughs> and I and, you know, thank you to all the MTA workers out there making it happen, truly. Um, yes. And it is a more pleasant experience, generally speaking today, than it would have been this time last year. Every time I've been on the subway so, lately, yeah. okay, you know, guys. people, people <laughs> I still just people don't are like distancing. sounds. Or yeah, like, no, I don't like sure. people. I don't like walking. I don't like cement. I don't like trains. I don't like tunnels. All fair things. Very totally fair. fair. Things. Totally fair. You know, but you see what I'm saying, right? Yes, yes, yes. No, and I'm totally appreciative that they've, you know, taken the time to actually start doing these maintenances. Is that a word? Maintenance? Mm -hmm. sure. maintenance, maintenance it's maintenance. 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 Uh, and cleaning the trains. Thank you very much. And I haven't been on the train, so I, I take your word for it. Um, it'll probably be a little bit of time before I get back sure. on the train. Sure, I've been yeah. biking a yeah. lot. But, yeah. you know, for me, it's always been like my – you guys both know how sensitive I am. So getting on the train, the sounds, the people um, – all of that, I take that in because I'm such a sensitive person. But it used to not be like that. But I'm actually quite happy that I'm sensitive to that now. And now I'm working in the other direction. Like, how right. do I now be um, a normal person that can get back on the train without being like this noise and that noise? It's all the journey to where we where we began. Yeah. You know? yeah. Speaking of, mm -hmm. so please, Jessica. How can we promote these things in our environments? What does it look like in our homes? Yeah, I made, I made, I made a lot of notes. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll get off topic when I'm talking about this. Um, notes. Uh. <laughs> I made some notes. Um, so I was thinking about, um, you know, to support the nervous system. You and I have talked about this in terms mm. of environment on past episodes. Who knows which episodes those were. I feel like it's just woven in on every other 
on topic we talk about, but you know that I'm going to say reducing clutter, period. That sounds so school teacher-y mean, but... um, It's a constant practice, (laughs) right? Yeah. Reducing clutter to whatever degree you can. And then you and I talk a lot about this, and I just really believe in this, reducing visual noise. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. No, I love that. Um, And that's a big component to feeling relaxed because your brain and your body processing all this information. So when you reduce that input, I think you're giving your body the opportunity to chill out. Definitely. Um, Certainly less for the brain to process. Right. And I mean, it's not only going to reduce stress, but it's going to create a sense of ease, like you're saying, you know, in the mind and the body. And I always tell my clients this, I promise you this. I promise you this. If you walk through your space and there's less in your eye line, there's less to process, there's less input, I mean, it's just kind of even when you think about, you know, consuming less news, consuming less sugar, consuming less of these things that we know kind of disrupt our systems or can disrupt our systems, reducing that is going to bring some sense of ease. less factor for that sympathetic response. Exactly. Mm. And I think people, which is why it's so great that all three of us, it's so great that all three of us are talking. (laughs) There's, There's so much crossover between our modalities. And I think people forget sometimes about the home and the environment because they look at it as, I mean, I do care a great deal about aesthetics, but they look at it as, I'm just gonna watch a, a show, these makeover shows and these uh, redo your house shows and and building and and that's great but we're really talking about how you're existing in that environment and the things that you can do to reduce stress and create a cocoon for yourself to defrag at the end of the day or if like most of us we're just existing in our homes now we're realizing that they are causing a great deal of discomfort and dis- mm. disease, right? literal dis- disease. <laughs> this was kind of my, a part of my question for you was um, how much is the, of that, you know, kind of even low grade, almost hoarding experience yes. that a lot of us employ subconsciously. Yes. Like how is, sorry, I lost my train of thought. No, oh get, pick it up, pick it up, pick it <laughs> Dang up. Dang it. <laughs> no, take your time. Um, you know, just that I that kind of low-grade hoarding, how is that in and of itself a stress response hmm. from us? Like uh, it's an unconscious stress response. Like would you agree that that's why people kind of have or a lot of people have this um, disposition or like this predisposition to collecting a lot of things and like having yeah. it just – having dressers stuffed with stuff and tchotchkes and knickknacks and clutter in general. I think some of this is intergenerational, Mm -hmm. like ancestral trauma. Yeah. Where I think we've all had this conversation at some point, but depends how you're raised, where your great grandparents are from, the information and lessons that they passed along to their parents that your parents passed along to you. Who hurt you, boo? Yeah, who hurt you. (laughs) But also it's more in line with um, how you treat the things that you own and Mm -hmm. um, your sentimental attachment to things. So I come from a family where 
they left Europe during the war. Um, they didn't have anything. They had to rebuild. And I think that I, even if it wasn't said directly to me, I got the message that everything is sentimental and it's important to keep everything. And my grandmother had this great saying that I shared with Dan at some point where you get three of everything, one to keep, one to give away, and one to lose. So um, their house was very horrific <laughs> towards the end of their lives. But also, you know, my grandmother was a very charitable person and um, liked to gift things. And I feel like I take that from her as well. But I've learned that... Um, you know, it's up to you to decide what is sentimental, what holds sentimental value, what does not, what belongs in the home, what does not. We're paying rent to exist in our spaces. Our things are not paying the rent, so they got to go. And I think there's also this sense of, you know, you buy a thing and you put it on the dresser and it looks real cute. And then you buy a bunch of things and they all just find each other. And then you never really take a moment, not that no one ever takes a moment. I mean, we're taking moments all the time now, especially with the work that I'm doing with clients, is reassessing, okay, does this still suit my needs? Does it bring me joy? Does it serve a purpose? Is it in alignment with my lifestyle right now? And that's why when you're going through all of your stuff, you literally take it out of the environment it's in. So if it's in one room, you take a bunch of those items that are in one category and you move them to another room and you assess them one by one. So during quarantine and during COVID, I think we were hoarding a lot of things just out of fear, some out mm -hmm. of necessity because mm -hmm. you didn't know when you were going to be able to get access to these things or when stores were going to open. So like lately, I've been spending a lot of time kind of going through and um, taking inventory of all of the things that I have purchased and things that I no longer need and that no longer serve me. And also just doing like a basic check in with myself um with seasonal stuff like going through wardrobe I just did a huge purge in the kitchen like going through spices and going through things that have expired and like old uh, you know herbs and, and medicine and stuff like that so I think it's important for in terms of being a hoarder there is a, a medical diagnosis obviously that comes with people that are um, severe hoarders but I think we all have it in us to become hoarders. Right. And that's what I'm like curious about. And if you see it in your work, obviously, um, the sense of having stuff and the things that we keep help us sentimentally, but they also, we kind of factor that into being like the sense of coziness yeah. and security. And I'm curious if in your work, like it's something to overcome this misconception of less being scarcity mm. and yeah. not having things and not having like that sentimental mm -hmm. attachment, but just having, not having that physical. Yes. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's abundant mindset versus scarcity mindset. Yeah. And this is like one of the big things that I work with, with my clients. I don't always label it because it might freak them out if I say that. Like if I point out, hey, you're in scarcity mindset right now. They would be like, right. what is happening? <laughs> um, but I think the tendency to hold on to everything is a scarcity mindset. 
the ten the the tendency to let go of things easily is abundant mindset and abundant living because you know that if you let go of something that you don't really care about or you don't really need or you come to the realization that you can let it go because I'm not telling people let everything go like it's their decision and I certainly don't walk into people's homes with the goal of them even reducing it's about getting in alignment with their lifestyle that's what lifestyle coaching is right. from my perspective. It's just aligning their lifestyle with their home, with their office, with their work, with their desires. So I think with scarcity versus abundant is that when you get into a scarcity mindset and you want to keep everything, that's actually not it's, – it's, these things don't protect us and um, – we're going to have an episode on superstitions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is all Ooh, other thing. Can't wait for that. But I think... And triggers hiding in plain sight. And triggers hiding in plain sight. And I think a, a, lo- thing too. a lot of the times we think these items, we need them because they're our identity. And who are we without these things? So mm-hmm. I like to flip the question. It's like, who could I be without this? You know, how can I lean into and manifest newness and abundance and new experiences and opportunities by letting these things go that no longer serve me instead of just being like oh I'm not going to think about it now I'm just going to hold on to it you don't want to be that's not forward thinking that's not in flow that's stagnation yeah so I think you see that in the body Mm -hmm. Dan sees that in mindset and I think the bravery that I have witnessed with clients Seeing them let go of things that either they they thought at the beginning they were going to keep or they thought they could never part with, them showing up to this place on their own is so transformational and so cool to witness because I didn't tell them to get rid of that. I didn't tell them they didn't need it. Right. So I think when you're setting up an environment, what I'm trying to encourage people to do is you know, how do you want to live? What is your ideal lifestyle? I, I, I go through a, a series of questions with them um, in preparation for working in their home. And I think what it really boils down to is what they're willing to do. Like, just like with the two of you, it's they're coming to you, or in this case, I'm going to them to assess their space and they're doing the rest of the work. I'm just guiding the process. So um, did I answer your question? Yeah. And no, you absolutely did. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, so I think when, like right now we're, th- right now we are working from home, a lot of people, and then some people are not, they're going to offices and whatnot. So I think the idea is to align these things ideally, like they should be mirrored and we're talking about health too, right? So mm. it's like, the health should be mirrored and the lifestyle should be mirrored and the way we talk to ourselves should be mirrored. These, this is idealistic. This is very idealistic. There's actually a spiritual practice this aligns with that I'd like to mention after you, you finish. Mm-hmm. I don't want to interrupt. Yeah. It's like in terms of taking your sensibilities of what you desire and then applying them across all aspects of your life. So um, within reason. 
<laughs> within reason. As you would say, Dan. All aspects of your life. Asterisk, <laughs> um, within reason. Yeah. Um, and if this doesn't appeal to some, that's fine. But, I mean, if you're working with me, this is what we'll be working on. So don't hire me <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if, um, if you're not ready for that. Don't but, come yeah. a knocking. No, don't come. If, or I yeah. won't come a knocking. Or that. <laughs> don't come into the kitchen. I don't know. Which, 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 which metaphor? Um, yeah. So the practice that I wanted to mention is a simple one that was given to me by a teacher years ago, and it's just one thought, one word, one action. And the practice, which like, you know, maintaining the perfect focus of meditation is something that we expect to stumble out of. We're not surprised when it happens. The inevitable is the disruption. Uh, But that one thought, one word, one action that there be this constant, if gentle, guidance and attention towards, I'm going to think to myself, speak aloud and to myself, and behave all in perfect alignment that, you know, I shall not think one thing and say another. I shall not think to myself, this is going to be terrible, and then go do it and try to be good at it or something like that, you know? So anyway, one thought, one word, one action. It's a pretty uh, interesting exercise. Is this walk, walk the talk, talk the walk, walk the talk? What's that phrase? I don't know, but that's what it is. It's walk the talk, <laughs> talk the walk, walk the talk. <laughs> well, I always tell, I mean, I'm, I'm constantly therapizing my family that your actions do not match your words. Right. And then we get off the phone after that. <laughs> My, I mean, I don't know about that. That might Mic be drop. A, it might be a constant refrain for children. You know, my, my dad was especially guilty of that while he was alive and would even, te- would even respond to it and acknowledge it and be like, yeah, don't do what I say. You know, he was, he didn't talk like that, but. Uh, that was a good accent. Yeah, I don't know what I say. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he was like, you know, for instance, he was a lifelong smoker. You know, he didn't, he kind of actively, not only did he not take care of himself, he kind of poisoned himself to death. And, you know. So we're ending on a dark note. Thanks. We're, listen, we're, we're ending <laughs> some real shit, people. Uh no, we're ending. We're ending on this note of my dad was also an inspirational guy, so we can totally paint it in a totally different light. But he had the, these very complicated threads to him, like you might have, dear listener, complicated threads in your life. Mm. And just this that, uh, yeah, there was a dissonance between what he did and what he said. So anyway, children and parents, I think, have a particularly interesting relationship in in that particular kind of listening to each yeah. other. You know, we're as children, I think we're listening for our parents to do what the hell they say. And when they don't, we're like, this world makes no sense. Who are you? What's going on? Where's and, my security? And then you go to therapy and, and then, you go, yeah. you have no power over me. That's right. <laughs> but like, just kind of sur- take it back, just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. full circle in terms of relaxation. Yeah. I think that when people talk about being authentic and thinking about alignment, I think that if we can focus on, yeah, just like I was saying, like your your words matching your actions, 
holding yourself accountable. Wow, I'm saying so many platitudes right now. It's like, (laughs) I think like that helps to start to relax, you know, because you're not worried about, um, that's why I use the word authentic or being authentic and authenticity is that if you're truly being authentic, you're not like smiling in someone's face and then turning around and rolling your eyes. If you're finding a way to align with your inner and your outer, your internal and your external, that's actually going to help you be less in dissidence. and let them reflect. Yeah, and and more easy to get into a relaxed place because you're coming from an authentic place and you're coming from a place that is hopefully your aspiration is to be in alignment. Dr. and Mrs. Sarah Biffen-Ryan. Yeah. Any, yes. any closing or concluding thoughts on relaxation today? Message of hope. Message <laughs> of hope. I, I would say, and I said this last time, but I'll say it again, be kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. Let yourself rest. That's not irresponsible. Yes. Rest yeah. is medicine. It's that simple. Rest is medicine. So get out there and relax, people. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'll, I, I'll have... Do better at it. <laughs> <laughs> one one more note that I, I do think is kind of an optimistic one to, to end on. The idea that everything we've spoken about today or anything that we've spoken about today, if you can do it with a sense of gentleness in the doing, what I think you might learn, as I discovered eventually is that the gentleness is the relaxation itself, is that being relaxed around the process of doing our relaxation, you know, laying kind of layers on in a meta way, like relaxing mm-hmm. around our relaxation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, yeah, being able to do any of this with a sense of just good old-fashioned chilling out, actually, yeah. is itself the work. Dan's petting himself, everyone. Just there's 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 an invisible cat in my lap. There's an invisible cat. No, I saw you touch your hand. Okay, maybe that was there a moment ago. My my hand was the cat. So thank you very much, Sarah, for joining us today. This is so fun. And thank you for listening to this episode of Mind Space Minimal, and we'll be with you in the next. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Visit MindSpaceMinimal.com and email us at MindSpaceMinimal at gmail.com. That's M-I-N-D-S-P-A-C-E-M-I-N-I-M-A-L.com. Keep it minimal and keep it moving. Thanks again for listening.